This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Back to the 80s Radio. I am Toscano of the fantastic radio duo Toscano and Chang. Here with you every single Friday, along with me on this magic carpet ride, of course, is a man who's been spotted at Rite Aid eating Thrifty's ice cream inside their own freezers. Oh, yes. He's also been been seen cruising in a red Pontiac Fiero, claiming that he's going back to the 80s to see the Us Festival all over again. We here at Back to the 80s (laughs) call him the Wondrous Chang. Welcome to Back to the 80s. This is the Chang. How are all my little changly danglies out there? Everybody out there staying lifted and gifted because remember, tomorrow is not promised. So let's enjoy today and live for a better tomorrow. Would you not say so, Toscano? I am wholeheartedly in agreement with you. I am extra giddy for today's show. Giddy. Let, uh, let me let our listeners know that we're taking a, 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 uh, a side road, but Toscano and I have a very special show. We guarantee you will feel as giddy as Toscano and I. Giddy. Correct. Giddy. You like that word, giddy? I haven't heard that in years. Matter of fact, the only person I ever hear it from is you. Well, sometimes I feel shitty, but it's better to say giddy. <laughs> I want to give a very special shout out to all of our Pandora listeners, even for, uh, for those that give us thumbs up and especially for those that give us thumbs down. Oh, you know what, Toscano? There's nothing I love more than seeing when we get the thumbs down. Round of applause. <laughs> Here's to you. We appreciate it. Yes. Yes, we do. Now, but before we get into it, I, I want to really thank those uh, thumb givers of down because it takes a lot of effort to uh, continuously listen to us and hate, hate, hate us every single time you put a thumb down. And it's just it's more effort to hate us than it is to love us. You know, we love you guys. I also want to give a very special shout out if you're listening through Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and iHeart, Anchor, iTunes, and iTunes, uh, just a, iTunes, a ton more, man. So we just want to give you guys a big, big shout out for listening to to our show. You know, Chang, a lot of singles check out our Back to the 80s radio show. And speaking of singles, there's a podcast that I want you guys to check out. It's a singles-only podcast where comedian Paul Farbar celebrates singlehood with other single comedians, actors, musicians, you know, regular folk. It's a place where you can hear single celebrities discuss their dating stories, relationship goals, and real-life experiences. Whether you're happy or sad, you're going to be entertained by co-host Patty Vasquez as she makes sure that Paul and guests don't get off track as the voice of reason. 
Find out why Singles Only Podcast was voted the best podcast by the Chicago Reader last year and was invited to the coveted South by Southwest Festival in 2020. So check them out, Singles Only Podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or go to singlesonlypodcast.com. Now, we do have a great show for you, so stick around because we're going to be traveling back in time. This is Back to the 80s Radio. I want. Hey, if it's on video, Blockbuster probably has it. I mean, we have over 10,000 videos. Wow. I'll watch these fast and have them back tomorrow, I promise. Relax. At Blockbuster, you can keep your videos for three evenings, so take home plenty. And, and use our 24-hour quick drop. Do you have any children's videos? Sure. Blockbuster's America's family video store. You know, we have more kids' videos than any place else. Hey, more movies, more nights, more fun. Blockbuster Video. Commercials, bad. Music, good. Now, with zero commercials. Please help support us in your donation today. We are going back to the 80s. This is Back to the 80s Radio, and as we mentioned to you in the beginning of the show, we've got a great guest. He was on the show before, Brian Curtis of Bad Attitude. Now, you know Bad Attitude because not only do they have an attitude, they've got the musical chops. Brian, thanks for being on the show today as we talk 80s, life, music, dreams, and upsets. Yeah, hey, Mario. Hey, Chang. What's going on, guys? Thanks a lot for having me back on the show. It's my pleasure being here. We love it, B-Man. We love it. When you were here the first time, we talked about uh, Bad Attitude. We kind of gave everybody the introduction of what and who is Bad Attitude. Go ahead and remind everybody what you do and what you have in store if you've got anything going on uh, with with the band this year or at any point during the coming months. Okay, so, yeah, so, guys, the, uh, you know, I formed the band in Hollywood, California back in, like, 1988. And uh, so me and some guys from the Musicians Institute put the band together. Uh, I was the lead singer, uh, wrote all the songs and uh, played lead guitar also. Uh, we were based out of Hollywood, California, and we, you know, we played the Hollywood Strip, you know, the Sunset Strip, uh, Gazzari's, Troubadour, the Whiskey, the Roxy, you know, hung out down there every weekend playing um, and promoting at the Rainbow. That was back when uh, when it was really hopping down there on the, on the Sunset Strip. So the, the band, uh, we were together for, you know, several years. Um, we did an independent record with Straight From The Heart Music. And we played all over, you know, Southern California, out in Las Vegas and stuff. The band, you know, we did we did really well. We, we recorded a lot of our music. We, we've got like 21, 22 songs that we recorded uh, in the studio that we talked about on the last podcast. Uh, all that stuff's out there on Amazon Music and Spotify. You can find us on, on YouTube uh, if you search. There's a lot of stuff um, labeled Bad Attitude, but if you search for Bad Attitude Band or Bad Attitude Music, uh, you'll eventually find us if you know what our, our album cover looks like. But it's just been great meeting you guys and getting, you know, getting kind of getting the fire going again with the band. You know, I've been in contact with the guys in the band since the last podcast and we've got a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff brewing. The guys are excited again about maybe possibly doing a reunion show. One of the cool things is, you still maintain your voice very well. You guys can still play. 
And a very cool thing, aside from all of that package, is the name of the band is really cool. It has a totally 80s vibe. Wouldn't you say, Chang? Uh, that that kind of name captures all of us, I think, uh, that were in uh, the Hollywood uh, sunset craze of the 80s and the metal movement. Kind of, it just That name captures everything, I think, about all of us rock and roll Hollywood dwellers of the 80s. All of us had a little bit of a bad attitude because that's where the hair comes from. That's where the uh, stance against uh, society came from. Rock and roll will guide your soul. Bad attitude eclipse your yeah, band well, you and know. the hair craze of our generation, brother. Exactly. I mean, you know, like, like we talked about on the last show, that's kind of how the name of the band came about. It was like, I got kicked out of a band because I had a bad, they told me I had a bad attitude. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> right, okay, well, I'll show you guys a, a bad attitude. You get kicked out of bands and you start your own band. You know, we're called bad attitude. Why? Because all of us got kicked out of the bands because we're a bad attitude. High school, we got kicked out of high school for having a bad attitude. And if you don't want to go to the show, we'll go to your house and we'll show you a bad attitude. Go back with us back to that time when you had those aspirations. Those dreams were so it was like a fire. I'm I'm sure it was like a fire burning in you at that time. And when you got together with your band members, talk to us a little bit about the dream first, and then we'll talk about the struggles. Talk about the dream. Okay. Well, you know, um, it's like Chang was saying before we, you know, a few minutes ago when we were just kind of chatting. You know, I started off in the high school band at school. In high school, and I wish that, you know, like we were saying earlier, I wish they, uh, a lot of the schools don't have that anymore, which I, I wish they did because it kind of brings out the music in all of us. And, um, so I was, you know, I was in the, in the junior high and the high school band as I grew up. And, and I knew that, that music was a passion of mine. And I think the first time that I saw Kiss on the Midnight Special, it just kind of did it for me. I knew that, you know, I didn't want to play trumpet anymore, right? I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to play guitar and be out there on stage in front of all those people and rocking out. And so uh, it, my parents got me my first guitar. I formed my first garage band. We played around at, you know, parties and stuff around town, anywhere we could play. I mean, we were a true garage band. You know, we practiced in the garage, right? We were a true garage band. And then from there, I joined my first top 40 band called The Kids out of Memphis, Tennessee, and we played top 40, and, we, you know, we were playing all around that area. We were really good, and we got signed with a management company that took us all over the United States. We ended up playing everywhere from Miami all the way to Anchorage, Alaska. Nice. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I, when I was in Anchorage, Alaska, that's where I met our guitar player, Lonnie Mead. I didn't know that he was going to be our guitar player at the time because I didn't run into him again until we were back in Hollywood at Musicians Institute, the guy comes up to me and says, Hey man, I remember you, you know, you were in, you were playing in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> and so anyway, so I was playing all over the country, playing top 40 and that, you know, that kind of got old after a while, you're living in motels and, and, and playing nightclubs and stuff. And so I knew that I wanted to do something bigger. So I, I decided to move, move out to Hollywood. California and, and, and um, you know, join Musicians Institute, the school, uh, the GIT program, that was the Guitar Institute of Technology program that they had. 
And that was really just a way, I was already playing guitar and I'd already been touring around, but that was a way to get me off the road and into Hollywood and, and to kind of maybe hopefully springboard my career um, out in Los Angeles. And so that's what I did. I packed everything and moved out there, went to the school. I played in a few bands around L.A. Like I was telling you, one of them, one of them you know, finally these guys were like, hey, man, you got a bad attitude. So... So I said, oh, 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 really? So I've got a bad attitude. I'm going to form a band and call it Bad Attitude. We'll see who's got the bad attitude. So from that's there, that's the way to be. Band, yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of the, I guess that's kind of the, how it all got started, the dream of me wanting to become a, you know, a musician and being on stage. And then from there, you know, I guess the rest is history, we should say, right? As a rock fan, what was that feeling that used to go through your veins when you were going to see a band, just what was that feeling like? It is somewhat like a, a spiritual uh, presentation being brought out to you uh, because every you get to this show and, and these people are bigger than life and their music means so much to you. Uh, it's there for you in your good times, your bad times. Perhaps some of the songs that they create uh, touch you on an emotional level. So when you're experiencing the band live, it's almost like going to church or reckoning with those emotions and those feelings. It's a high on a different level. The, the, the high that you get just going to watch a live show of a band that you like or a band that you've heard of or a band that is just good that you weren't anticipating to see. It's an elevation. It's a mindset. It puts you in a different place, I think, than everybody else that you may normally be with. Wow, that's that's really cool that you're saying that, Shane, because, you know, to hear somebody saying that about how they feel being out in the crowd, I mean, that's how we feel being on the stage. I mean, it's, it's such a rush and such a high, and, we, and, and just the energy bouncing off of the crowd is mm -hmm. what makes exactly. that's what makes the that's what that's what creates that whole thing between you and the band the, the feeling that you're feeling exactly. and the feeling that we're feeling uh you know because of, of guys like you out in the crowd a live show promotes unity just like the essence of music as itself as it was created forms unity and we need a lot more of that in today's chaotic world that's a very strong point and it's absolutely true because when you're at a concert listening to any type of music that's live, you forget about political parties, you forget about problems, you forget about divisions. And in that moment, and just during that time, you become one with the crowd, you become one with the band, you become one with the music. Your first time on stage in Hollywood where was that? And uh, tell me about the feeling you had. I mean, what you you had to have had goosebumps or something right before you're going to start singing. Absolutely, Mario. I I remember my first show in L.A. It was a it was at a very cool club in North Hollywood called the FM Station. Uh, it's, <laughs> oh yes, it's become really yeah, it's become really popular now. They talk about it on Hair Nation and, and Ozzy's Boneyard mm -hmm. and stuff about. All these guys talking, they're talking about FM station. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that was my, that was my first gig. 
um, I was playing with a band called Heads or Tails um, at that time, and that was my uh, that was my first gig. Um, that was my first gig in L.A. I remember that band. It was unbelievable. It was it was unlike anything I, you know. So much so different than like playing top. Like I said, I had been playing before I moved to Hollywood. I was playing in top forty bands, traveling around and you know and playing different nightclubs and hotels and stuff. Um, it was a totally different scene when you're playing original, you know, because we were playing covers before. And so now I'm out there in Hollywood. I'm playing, we're playing original songs. We're hoping that something's going to happen. Somebody's going to be out in the audience, you know, a record guy or whatever, you know, and you're, you're hoping for that chance that, that someone's going to see you and, and you're going to get signed. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? That's why all the bands, were out there playing in, in those clubs. We weren't, none of the bands out there, we weren't playing top 40 covers. Everybody was doing original songs mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're giving, you know, you're just giving it your all and you're, and you're praying that, that somebody is going to be in the audience that, that's going to see it. I mean, that's how a lot of these bands got signed. I mean, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, Gene Simmons discovered Van Halen, uh, John Bon Jovi, you know, discovered Cinderella. And, and, and those kind of those those things happen. Now, Brian, you remember playing the Coach House, the Troubadour. Yep. I mean, all all across. Uh, remember, it even bit into Orange County back into the eighties. B money. Remember uh, oh, the, yeah. some of the, the the clubs that we had in Orange County uh, were rocking a lot of the the hard rock bands. Heck, I remember seeing uh, Guns N' Roses at the Cat House. Now, the Cat oh, House yeah, started Cat a House. lot of yeah. careers, also. You know, Poison got their first start there. Uh, so, I mean, there's so many clubs, you know, that we could probably have a whole show be talking about a lot of the clubs where a lot of the golden era of uh, of metal was started here in Southern California. Bands, you know, clubs that are no longer there. FM Station, that club is legendary. Our first show was at the, was at the Troubadour. We played Gazzari's. It's, you know, Gazzari's is no... Was not that was back when Bill Gazzari was still alive, and you know Gazzari's is oh well, yeah, it, it's a different that's it, a different name now. It's been it's been a different club name for a long time, right? I'm just so excited. I mean, just recently I saw that uh, Def Leppard played the whiskey, and I was like, I was on that stage, you know. It was like so excited yeah. to see those guys on that stage. I'm like, I was telling my wife, I'm like, I was I'm you know I was on that stage. She saw the show. She so- saw us play there. So you remember Bill Gazzari's commercial that KLOS and KMET and KNAC <laughs> used to play? I'm Bill Gazzari, the godfather of rock and roll. You want the best? I'll give you the best. Every weekend on my stage at Gazzari's. See you on Sunset. Every time I heard that commercial, I thought, man, he, he's got a 45 on somebody's back right now as he's forcing <laughs> them into a club. He was a nice man, though. Bill Gazzari was a nice man. This is Back to the 80s Radio, and this is Brian Curtis with Bad Attitude. If you look around you, you'll see what I mean. Things ain't like they used to be. Yeah. 
Greatest vocalist, indeed the greatest quasi-religious figure of the 20th century, can only be Don Ho. That's right, Tom, Don Ho. And when you think of Don Ho, what else do you think of? That's right, Hawaii. And when you think of Hawaii, there's no denying the Headbangers Ball escaped from the long, cold winter with Cinderella Contest. One winner and a guest will be rocketed to the unspoiled tropical paradise of Hawaii. Tell them about it, Tom. You and a friend will escape a long, cold winter, see Cinderella in concert. You'll play in the sand, get a tan, meet the band. And if you're lucky, sell personal items to the locals for 10 times what they're worth. Here's what you do. Send in a handwritten postcard to MTV's Escape from the Long Cold Winter with Cinderella Contest. P.O. Box 1280, Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10101. So what about Don Ho? Oh, that was just a gimmick. If you can't wear a spandex jumpsuit, what can you do? This is... Back, back to the 80s. Welcome back to Back to the 80s. Chang here, sitting here with the B-Man from Bad Attitude. And that was a great track, B. That track, oh man, man, it, it just sets in so well with what we're discussing today and pretty much the topic of the format of our show here at Back to the 80s, how times have changed and only the strong prevailed. And sir, uh, with your vocals, you are definitely one of the strong vocalists that have prevailed through the times have changed. Thank you for being with uh, with us on the show. 
And uh, I guarantee the le- the listeners are going to have a blast listening to this uh, new music you guys have created. Thanks a lot, Jay. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that that song. Uh, that was one of the last songs that we actually um, that we actually recorded in Bad Attitude. Um, and it just it really holds true now, doesn't it? You know, you kind of look. Oh yeah. Look how look how times have changed. I mean, it's like wow. I I, I listen to that song and just. You know, recording it unplugged for you guys. I'm just singing it. I'm like, wow. Um, it, it seems like I just could I could have written it yesterday. It it touches uh, with what we just talked about. What music creates. Uh, you know, as, as a guy that went to go check out bands. You know, the lyrical content, uh, the emotional uh, feelings that a song could bring out, and it's so ridiculous when you think about it that. Maybe five people in the same room as you when you're listening to a track like that, just all of you are on the same level right then and there. You're all thinking the same thing, maybe different memories, but the thought process of mortality is all within those same five people. And that's the beauty, I think, of music. And that's why individuals like me and, and cats like you, even though, uh, you know, you're still playing in a band, that's why we make the music. That's why we go to the music. It kind of gives us a little bit of peace of mind. I think for the musician and we the listeners. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying, Chang. It's 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 really true, and it really holds strong today. All the way the music pulls everybody together. You know, before we came on air today, we were talking a little bit, uh, trying to make sense out of what happened with music in general. And Chang, you had mentioned a very good point about the youth and how today the youth has lost something so precious in schools. You know, like I had mentioned, the sad thing is like uh, we come from a generation where music was inverted in class. Uh, you know, you had a music lesson, a uh, high school, junior high, uh, you were able to take a musical course. So if you had a guitar, you can take your guitar in there. If you tickle the ivories, you could tickle the ivories in there. They tested you to see who could sing and those who could sing, they would work with you so you could build your voice to be that of an instrument. Heck, if you were really good at the brass, you had the opportunity to learn more brass in a class and either do uh, uh, something with these high school band or a lot of times they had plays and they had musical acts uh, for the parents every now and then. It would be an in-house school show. So kids would go up there and either perform as actors or perform as musical artists. The sad thing that we see nowadays, my kids' generation, your children's generation, they don't have that in school anymore. What we've been given is this powdered-up, pretty-faced kind of uh, era in music to where do you look out on a camera? Do you look sexy? Can you add uh, all kinds of ridiculous notes into a song made by somebody else and make it your own? How good are you on TV? Do the fans like what you look like on TV? So we've lost a lot of these uh, homegrown uh, garage type schoolroom talents to how pretty or how poppy can you look because of what the industry has done? Uh, the industry alone has kind of been the cancer to the freeform music movement, I think, of, of cats like Brian or cats like me or it's like your son who pick up an instrument and kick ass in a garage and find some other cats that kick ass and you create a sound that is unstoppable. 
the kids pay through the nose to have mediocrity. And music is not all about mediocrity. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Chang, the, it, like I said earlier when we were chatting, uh, you know, the, the high school band did a lot for me. It, it, it really brought out the music in me. It, it, tra- it, it, it I got ear training. I learned about other instruments. And it really, I, you know, there's today I, I teach music and I'm, I'm constantly going back to those days when, when I learned the things that I learned from in, from my band directors in the high school band. And so, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's kind of a shame that they don't do that as much anymore. I mean, they, the, it, it does exist, um, uh, here in Texas. I'm not sure how it is everywhere else. Um, but it's, it's not like it was on the level when, when we, when we were younger, like you said, for sure. Here's one of my pet peeves today. Society teaches that it's, that it's much better than it used to be for artists or for up and coming artists or for potential artists and performers, because everybody has the same chance, right? Now that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. The way I've thought about it is before I remember back in the eighties and and obviously this goes prior to the eighties, but up until the eighties, the way you got famous is a lot of hard work. There was a lot of downs. There was ups, but there was mostly downs for for bands when they're when they're starting to. And it took them a certain amount of experiences to get to where they were. Then all of a sudden, here comes the big break. And not everybody got that big break. And only certain amount of bands and uh, performers got to be on top of that pedestal. We all looked up to them as as icons as as uh people that made us feel better etc but i think it was a good thing that we had less but there there were more of a giant in our eyes as opposed to today where now you have so much and there are no giants anymore i'm sure you can name a handful of artists that were being played and playing in our era at hollywood that you scratch your head and wonder, how did they get famous? That goes back to the old sense, like being at the right place at the right time, right? I mean, that had a lot to do right. with it. And also, like you said, you know, the glam band, you know, we went through the whole glam band. I'm not going to mention any, any bands because I, you know, some, some of the bands that we, that we didn't think would be, would do, would do anything went on to, to be great. And you still hear them today on, on Hair Nation. And so it, yeah. it's it's crazy. It's just like, um, like I said, the the bands that you would hear, of, you know, back then, and our saw on the strip, you, you you know, we were all competing against each other, and, and you just didn't mm-hmm. know who was going to. It was like being you had to be at the right place at the right time, had to have yeah. the right show, maybe the right record guy in, in the in the audience, or just get. It was a lot of luck, a lot of luck. I remember a story that I heard just a few months ago. Related to Motley Crue, when they were first starting, Vince Neil had mentioned that every record label was shutting the doors on them until one record label gave Quiet Riot a chance. And as soon as this first door opened for Quiet Riot, it was a domino effect in the industry, and they started just getting bands from all over the place and started signing bands and giving them record deals. And one of those bands that was given this chance when every single label had told him no was Motley Crue. 
So I thought that was very interesting to your point that you had to be in the right place at the right time. One of the things that the big corporations do today is to convince the youth that you can be just as famous as any other band in history. They don't tell you you're not going to be getting paid. Does it necessarily mean that it's a good thing? That's my question. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got Brian Curtis and Bad Attitude. This is Back to the 80s. You just heard Bad Attitude. Don't turn your back on love. Brian, it's so different to hear you play that unplugged and and so great. Such a different spin and such a freshness. 
I've been playing all this time. You know, I still play out almost every weekend out here in the Austin, Texas area where I live now. And, you know, I was telling you guys earlier, I, you know, I'm, I'm playing as much now as I was back then. And so I think that, you know, that has a lot to do. You know, if you don't, you don't use it, you lose it, right? And so That's right. it's like um, I, 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 I try to keep myself in good shape and keep my voice in good shape and take care of myself. And I really appreciate you saying that. Thanks. Well, you're writing in, in a great, you're in the city of music, my friend. That's right. Austin, Texas, man. Everything's here. Hey, Stevie Ray Vaughan came from Austin, man. I love me some SRV. The greatest, yeah. I think, besides Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, it's a great town. Going back, now let's let's talk a little bit about the struggles. There were probably more struggles than victories in the rock world. Every single band has stories that they can write entire books and maybe encyclopedias worth of their struggles. If you can just take a moment and talk to us a little bit about some of the struggles that, that you went through, both as a band and maybe on a personal level, to be able to complete part of the dream and play live that first day at the Troubadour. Well, you know, I, I guess, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind, the, the toughest part about back then when we, when we were doing what we were doing on the Sunset Strip and everything was... You know, we we were having to sell. T you know, you had to sell tickets to play at these big shows. I mean, you could play some smaller shows, but if you like, we were like I was saying earlier, if you wanted to play a big show in in hopes that a record guy would be there or somebody would be there that might see you, you know, you had to play the big shows at at, at the Roxy and at the Whiskey and and, and Gazzari's and the Troubadour. And in order to play those shows and, and not be, you know, playing at 8 o'clock at night, if you wanted to play at 11 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night and headline those shows, not only did you have to earn that spot, but you also had to sell tickets. Where And that's where the term, uh, you may have heard the term pay to play came from. And so... Um, that was one of the big struggles, not not only for us, uh, but I would have to say, it, it, if you talk to any of the bands that played back then, that that was a that was a struggle, you know, because you know you had to show up at soundcheck with, you know, they give you a hundred tickets and say, hey, you know, sell these tickets for ten bucks a piece, and bring you know bring us a thousand dollars at soundcheck, and or else you know you don't play here again. And so, geez, I had, I had, I personally had no idea. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, the first few times you, you're doing these shows, it's great. You know, you know, you're hitting up all your friends and you're selling, you're, you're selling tickets, you're giving some away and this and that, you know, and you, you know, you might break even, you know, sometimes they would be, you know, after you did the, the shows a few times and, you know, maybe they'd give you the tickets for seven or eight bucks a ticket. So you only had to pay seven or 800 bucks for the, for, for the show. But, you know, after a while, all of a sudden, you know, now you're playing, uh, you're playing every four or five weeks. Uh, you can't, you just can't physically, you know, sell that many tickets unless you're just, you know, I mean, but that's part of it, right? You're trying to grow your fan base to the, to the point where the strong survive, I guess. Hey, we were out there on the Sunset Strip. We were giving tickets away to the hot chicks and we're, you know, we're trying to, we're selling tickets to the guys and giving, giving tickets to the, to the hot chicks and, and just, you know, just to keep ourselves alive and afloat and try to keep our, our dream going. That was, I have to say, that was probably one of the biggest 
uh, struggles that, that we went through. And, you know, and that's not only financial, you know, that, that's, you know, like you were saying, uh, Mario, that's, you know, that, that's mentally, you know, challenging also. And, you know, no band, you know, you don't want to be stressing out about money on, on a sound check. You know, it's like you're there to, to, to try and, and put on a great show and, and you're excited for the night and then hoping, like, well, like I said, that, that somebody's going to be there that's going to see you and sign you. And you don't want to be stressing out about money. I would have to say not only that, but, you know, just the whole thing about, you know, living in L.A. back then. I mean, you, you, a lot of the musicians, the musicians would be, you hear people sleeping on people's couches and this and that because they, you know, uh, but, you know, but having to work, you know, most of us work a day job in order to pay our rent and, and yeah. buy groceries, you know. And, so, and then so, you know, also not being able to totally dedicate yourself 24-7 to your band was also another another challenge. You know, we had to work, you know, we had to work a day job and, you know, rehearse at night. We had to pay for rehearsal. You know, I mean, you can rehearse in your in your bedroom or whatever, but if you want to rehearse a show, like like what a show that you're going to put on at the Roxy, I mean, you know, you had to rent out a, a rehearsal rehearsal a studio. Place. That's yeah. kind of the struggles that, that I can remember. Do you remember some of the bands who played after you during any given night? Um, we played with. Um, uh, do you guys remember a band called Hurricane? Yep, I remember Hurricane. Was, I remember uh, seeing those cats. I think it was like some of the. It was like I think it was. Uh, one of the some of the guys in Quiet Riot, uh, we we did a show with with Hurricane. We did a show with, with you know with Warrant. We played with Poison, and I need to pull out one of my old issues of Rock City News. Remember that, Jane? Oh yeah, dude, I remember uh, that and Crank. Remember Crank? Yeah, pull out. I need to pull out an issue of Rock City News and kind of look through there and see. What about a band named Ampage? Remember Ampage? Yeah, yeah, of course. And and Rat, of course. Oh man, I was a huge Rat fan. I, we actually got to go party with Juan Crucier at his house on on Labor Day weekend. Um, he had a beautiful home and down in Pacific Palisades. And wow. I was always I'd always been a huge Rat fan. And to to go down there and party with him and hang out and just you know just be in his house and just see all the platinum records you know that he had. Yeah. It was just, Amazing. So you, you know. So you remember the Boomtown Rats, and you remember uh, 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 the Mexican Diamond Dave, uh, uh, Mark Terrain of Bullet Boys. I went to high school with that guy. That guy oh, was sure. a that guy was a pretty boy, man. Right after the forties, the fifties came in, and you got Elvis, you got Little Richard, and that whole movement in the fifties. And then you get the Beatles going down in the sixties, and then you get the seventies, and you get a whole new movement of of musical genius. And then you get the 80s, and then there's this whole new movement of musical genius in, in very different genres. Do you expect to see anytime soon musical footprints as we did back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s and the coming decades? Well, you know, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, it just seems like, like what you were just saying. It always seems to keep coming back around, right? And so, I mean, we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of great music. I have, a, I have a lot of guitar students right now, believe it or not, and a lot of them are, are, are rocking out. And so there's, I know for a fact that there's a future generation of musicians, and that's just the ones that I know. I think, I think most definitely we're going to see 
uh, a, a future of, of kick-ass musicians. And I agree with you. Uh, I look on reels and all over social media, and I see a lot of youth, uh, kids as old as my grandchildren, that are rocking out. I mean, heavy duty. Your son alone, Toscano, picked up an axe, and a kid can shred just about any type of metal or rock and roll that the kid puts his ears to. So, yes, music is not dead. I agree with you, B. And and there's a lot of great talent out there. And hopefully now it's getting unleashed with social media and this outcry for cats like us who want that classic old school kick my ass rock and roll. So I think music will come back. How fast it will come back, I don't know. How it will come back, I think it's going to take guys like you and me, Toscano, and radio. It's going to take stations that we started as in K-Hits. It's going to take radio listeners and, and, and guys in bands like B to start putting the pedal to the metal. I've coached a couple of uh, teen bands out here where I live now. And some of my students decided to put, put a bands, you know, put their own bands together. And I was their music coach. And so, yeah, we've got we've got a musical generation that, that's going to be coming back around for sure. This is Back to the 80s. And we're going to let you rest on this one from Brian Curtis and Bad Attitude.
Hey, some of you remember the 80s vibe, right? Well, it lives loud and proud on Back to the 80s with my pals Toscato and Chang. This is Back to the 80s Radio. This is Toscano from Toscano and Chang. We're back here with Brian Curtis of Bad Attitude. Talk to us a little bit about What About You, Girl? How did that come to be? Or should I say, who is the inspiration behind that? that that's a great question. Now, actually, um, an old girl, it's, it's, it's about an old girlfriend, you know, and, and um, uh, it's a, you know, these songs were inspired by, you know, heartaches, breakups, that inspires, you know, inspires us to all these feelings to inspires us to write songs. And so, um, you know, just like the, the lyric says, you know, it's like, what about you, girl? You know, do you want to make it right? Will you love me tonight? You know? And so, yeah, I mean, what can I say? It's uh, the, the, a lot of the songs are written, written from the heart about uh, real life experiences, you know, breakups heartaches, all that kind of stuff. Good times, bad times, all that. Isn't that what we need today is we need artists to bring in their own material from their own experiences, lyrics that they can actually feel instead of singing something that 11 people wrote for them? Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, without getting too deep into it, I mean, a lot of artists that get signed, uh, they end up just, they the, the record company gives them songs from the publishing company. And, and the, the artist didn't even write the song. Now, a lot of people can pull it off and, and, and make you, you know, and sing these songs like it's their real experiences. Um, and, and that's a true artist that, that can do, that can do stuff like that, you know. But, um, all the songs that I wrote for Bad Attitude, these were all, all true life experiences. We didn't, I, I haven't done any song, none of the songs that, that, that are on our album were, were written by, anyone else but myself you know i mean I, I uh i had some old girlfriends help me out with some lyrics um in the beginning but for the most part um of all the, i wrote all the lyrics just from experiences that that i had that's inspiring now do you think axel rose was inspiring when he sang i used to love her but i had to kill her i used to love her I bet you a dollar chain that if you didn't at least write that one, you know damn well he wrote Mr. Brownstone, right? That's right, brother. Do you agree with some of these guys that say that in order to be a true artist, you need to go through some of the trials, some of the hardships, some of their struggles, uh, some of the heartaches in order for you to unleash that creativity to be able to be contagious to generations to come. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, I, um, I hate to say it, but I, I love to watch American Idol, you know, because I like to watch the, the new generation and, and see a lot of the, There's a lot of good talent out there, but it just drives me crazy when I see when I see people that make it that have never even played on the stage before. It's like, oh, they come right out of the bedroom, right on the stage. I really believe that in order to be a true artist, you really have to, you have to experience 
you have to have some experience and you have to pay your dues a little bit, a little bit at least. Come on. I would say you have to live the music and live the lyrics that you're writing about. You know, but once again, we go back to what we spoke about a little bit earlier. The big corporations are leading a whole new generation to believe and understand that you don't need that anymore, that anybody can be the big stars. You got a whole new generation of people thinking that YouTube is is, is it, that uh, Spotify, and you know, with Chang, we talked about this uh, on many shows. There's people with that are getting paid ten to twelve dollars for for six hundred thousand downloads of their music. Twelve bucks. I, it's amazing. You know, I, I get my uh, I get my little quarter, quarterly uh, royalty statement you know from a uh, bad attitude and uh you know <laughs> it's you know we're lucky to pay the light bill you know what i mean sometimes <laughs> yeah but, you know you get thousands and thousands of downloads but like you said it's not like the old days where where you make you actually made money when someone bought your record now it's like exactly. yeah that's the thing people kids aren't aren't taught that that artist who you're who you're listening to that guy or that girl or that band, they struggle to be there and they've got a story to tell in more than just one song. So when you go out there, you buy their album, you're really helping them. You're really backing them up. Uh, You know? Yeah, of course there's always been thievery with the labels. Of course we understand that, but at least there was a time in the eighties or before streaming. Let me say that before streaming where kids were, going to record shops and to to learn that look this is music we'd spend the time we'd have and i mean it was uh it was an experience to be able to go out there and choose our own music we didn't choose playlists we had cassettes for that we called them mixtapes of course but we went out there and we bought the record or the cassette the cd and we supported that artist and and you know what they meant something to us and now kids are just taught, hey, you don't need that. You don't even need to appreciate music as you did before. Just create a playlist and and move on. Man, that was a whole, you know, that was a whole that that's a whole big deal there, you know, because that's how I learned so much about music and 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 my love of music was just sitting around reading album covers. Remember remember doing that chain reading oh, the man. lyrics. Reading, yeah, reading, reading the lyrics, reading the 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 uh, the, the, the liner notes, uh, yeah. you, you know, looking to see, and, and then you were always intrigued when you read a good, a great musician that had produced the album or written a song for them, or you could actually read uh, a bio on the entire band, the band members, where they came from. It was oh. so exciting! It was so exciting back then to get an album and open it up and just to see what was in. The the, yes. sleeve, the the album sleeve and and what it was you know what we what we gotta find inside and then you know Kiss would put little stuff inside their their albums and 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 Grand Funk put put some three D glasses in there. Yeah, uh, do you remember certain certain albums were certain colors too? Remember, every now and then you would get a red album yeah. or a purple album or a blue album. I mean, and it was just it was endless. Uh, I think the time that we would spend on our vinyl. Uh, and then remember when cassette got big, B, 
how, uh, you know, we break out a reading glasses or a magnifying glass so we could read uh, all the stuff that we would read on the cassette. But yet the cassette and the CD was never near uh, the equivalence of the artistry or the bios on on vinyl. Now, uh, if we were to compile a list right here, gentlemen, would you not say the lack of promotion and freedom on terrestrial radio is number one to why we don't have such great artists as we did before? Uh, the loss of the entities of music stores, I'd say, would be number two. And like Mario said, number three, it would be the big wigs, the fat cats with the money and the power that are refusing to acknowledge we, the music listeners, and just force a lot of crap down our throats because those cats look real sexy and they're selling a lot of, uh, of video coverage. So I think that would be a good list to compile the three that I stated, one from each of us, on why we're not seeing uh, such growth in the music industry as we should. It's a whole new music business now for sure with the with the streaming and, and, and YouTube and everything, people don't buy albums anymore. They don't sit around and, and read the lyrics and and, and uh, I mean they read them on they read them on Google or whatever, you know. But it's not the same as as laying around with headphones on and, and just really getting submerging yourself in the album. But it all comes down to uh, these big massive corporations. If you were to call Spotify today and ask them anything about their music service and ask them, uh, so I know you're a music service, what do you have to say about this or whatever? They're going to tell you we're not a music service. It's in their policy. If they state that they're a music service, they will get in trouble by their top bosses. What they are is a subscription service. How do you like that? Oh, I see. Yeah. So in their paperwork, they are not a music service. They are a subscription service, which tells you more uh, than enough about what they're what is really important to them. Uh -huh. Subscribing, getting that that pocket in that pocket flow. Brian Curtis from Bad Attitude. Before we let you go, we want to remind you guys here at Back to the 80s that we are planning something. We have something special in the works. Uh, we're going to be announcing it, so we want you to stand by with us, stand by Bad Attitude, because we have a little something that's going to make everybody glad to stick around. Let everybody know about your album, how to uh, get a hold of your album. Okay, great. Well, thanks thanks again, guys, for having me on the show. It's it's, it's always a pleasure. You guys are, are, are a riot, and it's so much fun to talk to. I have my, my website, which is uh, www.briancurtis.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-U-R-T-I-S, briancurtis.com. You know, I've got a YouTube channel. If you just search for Brian Curtis Music or, you know, Brian Curtis Music Lessons for Bad Attitude, if you guys want to check out Bad Attitude, just look, look on YouTube or Spotify and Amazon Music. Uh, just look for... Our album cover, the four good-looking guys from Hollywood. You'll 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 know when you'll know it when you find us, right? We appreciate you coming on the show, Brian. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. Have a hey, man. It was a joy talking to you, Brian. We'll do this Woo! again. Yeah, man. Metal up, brother. Great, guys. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. This is Bad Attitude with Hanging On on Back to the 80s Radio.
You're listening to Back to the 80s. Hi, I'm Tracy Monoknuku, the host of the Sexy Aging Podcast and author of My Menopause Memoir. I started my podcast to open up the conversation for women transitioning through menopause because nobody was talking about it. In my podcast, you'll have all your questions on midlife health, fitness, longevity, career changes, and relationships answered with some of the world's leading experts in these fields. Midlife is an amazing time to evaluate how you're going to live the second half of your life. I recommend you do this with a bit of sass and keep it sexy. You can find my podcast anywhere you tune in to listen to your favorite podcasts. And now, back to the 80s with Toscano and Chang. This is Back to the 80s Radio. We do have a guest today, Evan Casimir, who is CEO of Interview Pros, Interview Pros Supplements, and Interview Pro Education who is going to be talking to us today about bringing ourselves and our careers together. Because you know what? The bottom line is a lot of us screwed up during the 80s with our education. Some of us maybe slacked off. Some of us maybe party too much. Whatever it is, a lot of us maybe didn't have the guidance, the tutoring, and just downright the know-how of where to go, how to follow our dreams, or what to do in relation to our career in the future. And unfortunately, a lot of us are paying the consequences of those decisions. I want you to know that it's not too late. And that's why Evan is here today. Welcome to Back to the 80s Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's funny because I'm going I'm to be talking to you as I've never spoken to you in my life. But for those of you who don't know, Evan and I go way back. We sure do. And uh, Pre-pandemic days. Pre-pandemic days. So it's just, it's great to have you on, brother. BC, yeah, before Corona. I, I, I really appreciate you having me here. You know what? I, I like that. BC. Yeah. Before, before Corona. I think that's going to stick. <laughs> I think that's going to stick. But you know what? I'm glad you're here because if anybody knows anything about careers and a path to a better lifestyle, especially because here in Back to the 80s, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, bottom line is there's, let me put it to you this way. Not everybody followed their dream and not everybody was able to achieve that which they would always have hoped for. Uh, but I hear from you that it's not too late, right? As long as we're healthy, it's not too late. It is never too late. Definitely not. You know, I work with a lot of career switchers, people that, you know, started in one job or one industry and then realized, you know, five years, three years on the line, you know, I don't really like this. I don't want to do this. How do I change my job, change my industry, start over without, you know, going back to school, going into debt, you know, what do, what do I do? So, so people come to me and, you know, I help them either career pivot, career switch, or start a new career. And it's not something that can be done overnight, can it? Or, or how does, like, let's say I, you know, I messed everything up in the eighties. I don't have the high paying job that I would like. And I don't have the education, bottom line, and I'm 50 years old. First of all, let me ask you this. Is it too late for me to go back to school or? No, it's, ne it's never too late to go back to school to start exercising, to do, to do anything you want. You know, you're always going to be battling that voice in your head that says it's too late. But realistically, we're human beings and we're built to always develop and always grow. You know, so you, you can never stop learning and your body can never stop growing. You know, so it's never too late to exercise and, and prevent some of these uh, brain degenerative disorders or, you know, muscle degenerative, degenerative disorders. I can never say that word, but <laughs> essentially it's never too late to start something new. Yeah. Well, I can identify with the body growing. 
uh, because, uh, you know, I'm getting up there. <laughs> body, body does grow. So yeah, what I tell people, you know, whenever you're starting over, uh, or whenever you're looking for a job in, in general, there's always that component of, um, what's the word that I like to use, um, that unknown factor. So you can go to school, get qualified, apply for a job and then get selected. But, you know, there's that unknown factor where sometimes jobs come to you. Somebody will offer you a job based on your qualifications or your history or based off how you present yourself. So sometimes finding a job is not just about being qualified and applying or playing that numbers game. How many apps can you fill out? But it's being in the right place at the right time or knowing the right people, you know? So if you're, you know, quote unquote, too old, or if you think you're too old, it's, it's never really too late because, you know, finding a job is all about networking. I always say that your network is your net worth. So make sure that you know how to market yourself as a job seeker because jobs will come to you no matter how old you are. You know, it's illegal to discriminate against age. So you never have to worry about that. But work on growing your network, meeting people that could potentially bring opportunities to your door. That way you don't have to always be on the search because a lot of times job seekers get fatigued and and depressed by looking for a job because looking for a job is like having a job. You know, you have to spend time on the computer. Sometimes it takes five hours a day, eight hours a day. But at the end of the time, you're going to get, you're going to get out what you put in. Yeah. So if you put in a lot of time, you'll get a lot of offers. So before we dive in to I mean, it's, it's, it's a big topic and it's a complicated one uh, for some of us because of how, you know what? I think it is. I think a lot of us are scared. We're scared of, you know, we're scared. We're human. So we're scared of change. We're scared of of rejection. So there's different fears that we have, but talk to us a little bit about, first of all, who is Evan Cassamy (laughs) and what, what do you have going on? And then uh, we'll get into the nitty gritty of, Sure. How to make some of our 80s dreams come true in uh, 2022. <laughs> Definitely. That's what I'm here for. So as you beautifully introduced, uh, my name is Evan Casme. I am a career expert. I've been working in HR, human resources, for almost 10 years now, currently finishing my PhD in HR management. Um, I've worked in a lot of different industries, including supply chain logistics, healthcare, customer service, um, gaming and entertainment, Um healthcare, you know, before the pandemic. And most recently, IT um, worked with Amazon, and then a couple of different companies staffing different IT professionals. So my background has been in recruitment. You know, I've sat with a lot of candidates, gone through thousands of resumes, you know, I I like to say that my job is basically, you know, to have a a really good BS barometer, (laughs) have to to basically be a human lie detector. So you can really tell what what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, especially with uh, those little resumes that come a little bit doctored up. Oh, my. And, and you know, <laughs> I have so many stories. I don't even know how much time we have. But, yes, I, I basically have to look at somebody's resume, figure out if they're qualified, figure out if they're lying, figure out if there'd be a good culture fit. So during my interviews, you know, there's a lot of psychology that comes into play. So my background, my, my bachelor's, I actually have a degree in behavioral neuroscience with an emphasis in psychology. And then I have another bachelor's in Spanish for translation and interpretation. And then I got my MBA and now working on my PhD, but essentially recruitment is, it's a personality based job. So, so there's a lot of psychology that goes into it. Um, So I get to use my bachelor's degree when I'm sitting down with candidates because, you know, in psychology, we study personality development. We study, um, you know, the differences in 
body language when people are telling the truth versus when they're lying. You know, so my job as a recruiter is to kind of go through people's work history, ask them specific questions about their skills, their work history, just to see if they're actually qualified and then ask them more specific questions to see if they'd be a good culture fit. It sounds like something I can't do. So I'm glad you're there. I'm a very trusting person. And uh, I would get, I wouldn't be good as a cop. I wouldn't be good as anybody that. You'd be the good cop. (laughs) I'd be that good cop all the time. Be letting everybody go. go. There would be no jails today. Everybody just go. Honestly, it wasn't mine. I didn't do it. So um, let's let him go. Yeah, you're right. You know what? He was having a bad day. That's uh, fantastic because in a way you pave a way for people to make those choices. And you're also weeding out. So companies get good candidates coming to them. But similar to yourself, I I also like to think of myself as kind of like that good cop. And so being that good cop, you know, whenever I was interviewing people, I never just sat down there. I never sat down and thought, you know, this person's lying. I'm going to try to trap them in a lie. You know, nine times out of 10, I was like, okay, this person's qualified. They're just not putting their best foot forward. They're not presenting themselves. They're not, they're not talking about their work history in the best way possible. So I was very lenient as a recruiter. And I would often tell candidates, Hey, you know, maybe you should say it this way instead of that way, because it didn't come across very genuine. Um, I noticed that a lot with it personnel, um, people that, you know, either built web pages or software developers, Um, They didn't interview the best, you know, a lot of IT personnel are just in front of a computer all day. So they don't have that customer facing job or experience. Uh, So sometimes when they get in a panel interview, they get nervous and they may not be the best culture fit because they don't appear to be either coachable, teachable, warm and friendly. So what I used to do as a recruiter when I was in, you know, specific companies doing internal recruiting, I would sit down with the candidate and say, hey, why don't you talk about your experience this way or Um, you know, maybe say this instead of that, Um, you know, be careful, be very cognizant of uh, looking down uh, because the person that you're going to be interviewing with next, it might come across as lying to them. So I started doing that, you know, in healthcare and IT supply chain logistics. And then I started thinking to myself, why don't I just turn this into a business and then teach people how to be successful during the interview? I had a couple of questions that came across here on Twitter, actually. And one of them is how important is it today that you have a well-written resume. So mm-hmm. let me go a little bit back on that question yeah. because I know today's everything's digital. We didn't have that issue back then in the 80s. Of course, my first job was in the 80s, like in 88 or 89, and I worked at a pizza place. There was no uh, you know, resume involved. There was nothing that just you want a job, fill out the application, and you're set. Now as an adult, you're trying to maybe change careers or whatever the, the thing is. How important is it that you have a regular in-writing resume? Yeah, and so it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, A lot has changed in the job market since the 80s. Um, You know, resumes have actually been around for a very long time. Leonardo da Vinci was one of the uh, earliest people accredited to having a resume. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I know, it's super random. So I'm actually writing my second book. It's called The Art of Interviewing, um, A Job Seeker's Guide to, you know, Finding a Job. But you know, in my research for this book, I studied, you know, where resumes came from, essentially the history of resumes, you know, where they came from, who started the first resumes, um, who started the first resume, how it's evolved, you know, why we use them and how we can make them better and kind of where our resumes going. For some reason, I think of Leonardo da Vinci's resume, including a lot of uh, naked pictures and private parts showing off there. Probably. You Hello, know. I'm uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I would like to show you yes. what I really can do. 
eat pasta and spaghetti. That's all I know. <laughs> and paint a penis or two, you know. Yes, he probably did. So basically with his resume, it was just a list of things that he was capable of doing, some of his skills. Um, and he would pass it around to people so he could, you know, potentially get a job. Then resume started to transition. And ironically enough, people started taking out ads in the early 40s and 50s and putting them in newspapers. I forget right now uh, the guy's name. It's in my 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 um my my research material, but essentially resumes were actually ads in newspapers. There's a gentleman who took an ad out and said, this is what he does. He worked with his hands. And so he said, he's built this, that, and the third, and he's worked with this person, put it out in the newspaper. And that kind of caught traction. So people started putting out ads as far as their capabilities. And then as time went on, you know, 60s and 70s transitioned into a paper that companies, you know, asked for from, from candidates. So essentially it was just a, a sheet of paper that had your skills, companies that you've worked at, and contact information. So resumes started to evolve a long time ago and they just kind of stuck. So we still use them today. However, they are evolving still. You know, as you know, there's LinkedIn, there's social media, there are online portfolios, digital portfolios, things that job seekers and uh, skilled professionals can use to market themselves. So one of the things that scares me now in my 50s is that everything is digital. And although I am pretty computer savvy, there's a lot of people that aren't computer savvy, you know, that, that are kind of afraid of going digital and uh, writing their resume online. And, and then not only that, but starting, uh, all they got to register for these places so they can have their resume sent out. And all that can be complicated, you know, for, I, I think anybody. So, how, I mean, how do we, um, how do you talk to somebody like that? And where yeah. do we go? Uh, but in this case, obviously, we got someone like you, right? Yeah. Essentially, that's what I was going to say. You come to us, interview pros. We will definitely sit down with you, talk to you about the industry, how it's changing, because looking for a job now is a very technical skill. You have to be very computer savvy. You have to know software. You have to know uh, hardware sometimes, you know. So we try to make that process as easy and as painless as possible for our job seekers. Um, we do content management. We do LinkedIn profile creation. We do resumes. We do cover letters. We do job application services. So you don't have to apply at all. Um, you know, but looking for a job is definitely a technical skill. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, the thing that I would tell a job seeker is that you, you're going to have to catch up or be left behind. Because if you don't understand computers, the type of job that you will have access to you know, the types of jobs that you'll have access to um, or the opportunities will be diminished. You know, they're going to they're going to be very minimal because a lot of jobs use computers, you know. So understanding basic computer knowledge, like how to attach a file, how to send an email, um, you know, how to use Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel just on the basic level are some good skills to have. And so we do things like that with our career development services. We, we do job training. We let you know what softwares are important for which types of jobs you want to apply for. Um, you know, we, we definitely put you in that position to, to market yourself effectively as a job seeker. Evan Casme of Interview Pros. Evan, um, you, we, we just can't. It's too much information. And we're, <laughs> we're going to have to put you like in a two or three part show if you don't mind coming back. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. All right. Let everybody know where they can find your services, because I know a lot of people want to take advantage of you in a good way, yeah. of course. And, uh, and hopefully we'll have you next week to talk more about the whole process and everything you do to help people out. 
You can always visit us online at www.interviewprofessionals.com. That's interviewprofessionals.com. Or you can reach us by phone at 619-882-3305. Again, that's 619-882-3305. Or if you want to drop us an email, more than welcome to as well, at info at interviewprofessionals.com. That's info at interviewprofessionals.com. Go ahead and pay Evan Casamia a visit at Interview Pros as soon as right now. When the economy was good and the metal was heavy, man. Back to the 80s. Ouch. You remember the first time you tried these games? Space Cat. But with practice, Captain Galaxy. And when you first tried Coke, I bet you said, no, thank you. But hey, 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 let's try Coke again. Because once you got that new wave taste, you'll want to try it again and again and again. Practice makes perfect. Catch the wave, the Coke. Now, back to good, wholesome, politically correct entertainment. Oops, wrong station. <clears throat> now, back to the 80s with Toscano and Chang. Chang, it's been great to, to be back here and and to be once again full throttle. Thank you guys for making the show what it is today. Thank you for all you that download. Thank you for all the thumbs up. And thank you guys for all the thumbs down. Thumbs down. We love the thumbs down. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to do that on behalf of all of us here. So uh, we'll see you next Friday. Enjoy the week and be safe. Chang here before I release you to another Chang-tastic weekend. Don't let anything bad cloud your mind. Stand up tall. Stand up fiercely. Stand up for yourself. Stand up for somebody that can't stand up for themselves. And always stand for one thing. Unity creates prosperity. So adios. Arrivederci. Hasta la vista. Hasta luego. Sayonara. Adios. And to all my homies in the barrio, especially here in Los Angeles, California. Oh, ho, ho!